so this morning we are in the fifth, the fifth study of this series called The Life You Always Wanted. And we've been talking about the question and the issue and the clarification of what we refer to as spiritual disciplines. And what those are are habits you can develop, that you can choose to develop, to change you in areas that only God is able to change you. Those are called spiritual disciplines. We all want to be involved in that transformation process. We all want to be changed to become more and more like Christ. We all want to have these characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, being loving and kind and caring, being humble, patient, being filled with these variety of, of fruit that God wants to display through our lives. But in order for us to do that, He's directed us to follow certain disciplines. That as we follow them, we're trained by them and we gain spiritual muscle. As we continue to work out with them, we become stronger and stronger and stronger in our faith responses, one to another. Someone shared with me just the other day that they were uh, hurting and they gotten into the bathroom and they were crying and someone followed them into the bathroom here at the church and came up to them and said, you know, I, I'm not really really good at this prayer thing, but I think we need to pray. And she began to pray for it. Now, that was such a wonderful thing. We began to exercise those areas of spiritual discipline that God wants us to exercise so that we can begin to become who we want to be. Who we want to be. It was uh, Tom Landry, a very famous coach of the Dallas Cowboys. You might have cared for it. Uh, at that time, I was quite into the Cowboys, and he said, my job is to help these men do what they need to do so they can become what they always wanted to become. And it's so difficult because they fight me all the time. They fight me all the time. And that is God's cry to us. I want you to become all that you can be. But in order to do that, you must submit yourself to train in these spiritual disciplines of prayer and confession, and listening to the Holy Spirit and following the guidance and direction He gives. Because when we follow that which we hear from Him, then He speaks more clearly to us and we find ourselves more and more able to walk in a manner that declares we are walking in the Spirit. And as we listen to God's Word and study it and apply it to our lives, we find ourselves being changed day by day by day. And that change is like the change I see in my grandchildren's lives. I have two twin grandchildren, and they're wonderful boys. But what happens is, as I'm watching them regularly, I can discern the differences in their looks because they both look so much alike. And I said, okay, that's Luke, that's Jack, got it. But I leave them for about two weeks and I come back and I go, Jack, Luke, which one is it? And I ask mom, and, and now here's the truth, and she knows it's just saying sometimes, I'm not sure right now. Not very often, but every now and then, even she gets a little, and those little turkeys, sometimes they'll turn, you'll see Jack, and he'll look up at you like, 
I'm going to decide, shall I respond to that one or not? Do I want to be Jack or Luke? <laughs> and it's so much fun to interact with him and grow with him. But the change in our lives is much like that, that as we change, others can come back and look at us and see us incredibly changed, while those that are living with us don't even notice what is happening. And God desires for us to change, to be involved in this change. And so we use this simple little mantra that we've been doing throughout this whole time. And I've been gone for a couple weeks and Eric took it over. He didn't do it, but he should have. And we just simply said, it's time for a change. And you respond with, let the change begin. Exactly. And that's the process we're going through. We all so much want to be changed. But in order for the change to happen, you've got to go through these series of disciplines daily, weekly, monthly, and then we will experience transformation, the change, the wonder of watching God work in us and through us, and we become more and more like Him. Now, today what we want to talk about is the ministry of weakness. You see, we're all called to a ministry of weakness regardless of who we are. And that ministry is one of humility and service. Say that with me. Humility and service. And that's what we're going to talk about today, these issues of humility and service. You see, we help others not so much because we are strong or because they need us, but because we need to help them. That's fun. It's fun. But the reality is, it's only as I serve that transformation takes place in my life. And I only become more like Christ if I choose to serve and to humble myself, which is what I can do. I can choose to humble myself. I can choose to serve. But God then changes me and develops within me humility and the desire to serve. And that happens over this period of time. Jesus said these words, The greatest among you must be a servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think we have that verse in there. Read that together, whether it's off of here or off of there, either one. Okay? And it goes like this. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is not so much thinking less of yourself as it is thinking of yourself less. It's not so much thinking less of yourself is it is thinking of yourself less. There are two simple declarations of, of humility, and they are this. You are right, and how am I doing? You are right, and how am I doing? And when we're involved in those declarations and questions, we will find ourselves experiencing humility and service. Or as the scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, and if you have Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, because if you need to, if I get boring, you know, it's like, oh, Pastor, I'm 
getting a little, going too long, just start reading to that chapter because that's what we're doing today. It's really chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. And that entire chapter is dealing with the issue of we are free to serve one another. It's all about having freedom to serve one another. It's the clarification from Paul of Jesus' declaration to us saying, the greatest among you must be a servant. And that is over and over stated. In Galatians 5 verse 13 he says this, For you have been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. To serve one another in love. When we're involved in that process, we will find regularly that coincidences happen with us and we're constantly talking with God. As Mother Teresa put it, and I love this quote, she said, Coincidences always seem to happen when I pray, and when I don't pray, they just don't seem to happen. You see, freedom is all about me. And as I trust the Father, He gives me the power for humility. Freedom is, first of all, all about me. It has to be. And as the Father directs me and I trust Him, He gives me the power for humility. So James says, humble yourself before the Lord, and then He will lift you up. You'll become free of your fears and your peers when you choose to humble yourself for God's work. You see, the issue for me is simply this, and I, and I really seriously struggle with it, and that is, okay, what does it mean to be humble? How does it show up? How does it show up in our lives? Because humility is that odd duck that if you think you have it, you don't. If you think you have it, you don't. It's gone. It's just has that nature. God wants us to have that nature because Jesus speaks so often to this issue, but he looks at it in the sense of pride removal. He tends to go after areas in our life that are prideful. So he says, okay, the focus isn't so much trying to be humble as it is to try and remove pride from your life. So in John chapter 12, he talks about this issue of pride, and he says, they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you're really trusting God who sent me. And I came as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me would no longer remain in darkness. And what I've done is I've continued this section where he talks to the Pharisees about their pride and moves it into an issue of trusting God in humility. Because the issue of pride usually is, I want something, and if I don't grab it, I'm not going to get it. Someone else will get it instead of me. They'll move ahead of me. There won't be enough food 
for everybody, so I've got to get whatever it is I can get. Wow, I can get. And Jesus says, the issue is will you trust God to meet that need? The need for self-worth, the need for self-acceptance, the need for a sense of being. And if you will, then he will provide you with the light, humility, which enables you to see what life is really about who you really are. And not only that, but to then enjoy who you are. Enjoy who you are. What Jesus refers to as the ability to love yourself. How many of you love yourself? Some of you do. Some of you think I do. I raise my hand, I won't be very humble. And you're right. Those of you who raised your hand, you just lost your humility. Jesus seems to tell us that humility is like a flashlight to our struggle with life that enables us to see and live with reality and no longer have to hide from ourselves. You see, the reason many of us don't love ourselves is because nobody knows who we are that tells us they love us. They don't even know who I am. I've been faking them all this time. I've been falsifying my thoughts, my motives, my intentions. So when they say they love me, no, they love that person that I showed them. But they don't love me. So you realize the problem. And Jesus says in humility, we begin to be humble enough to be who we are before those are around us. And then when they love us, we can enjoy that love. And when God loves us, we can enjoy that too. That's the cry the pleasure of humility. Pride goes into what Jesus calls the declared praise of men as opposed to the silent praise from God. It's not that we don't need some kind of praise. We all need praise and affirmation. But he says you need to get that directly from God and secondarily from others around you. And that when you have gained that sense of praise from God, then you find yourself able to receive praise from those around you. So we find ourselves responding to those who give thanks or praise to us. We can simply say these two words that are so hard to say when somebody says that. What are they? Thank you. That's what. Thank you. Now, well, you know, I didn't really, really. Just say thank you. Thank you. It's not that hard, but it is. God wants us to be able to have that kind of confidence in His righteousness working through us. Instead of having a sort of righteousness that Jesus talks about later in Luke in the same group that caused them to look down on others. He wants to have the righteousness of God that causes us to flow out with mercy and grace to others with us and to see them in the light of Christ Himself. So that when I look upon you, I see Jesus living through you rather than just who you are right now in your own adequacy of your soul. So we je reject pride and we seek characteristics of humility. And I call it seeking the shadow, not the sun. So God says reject pride and seek the shadow, not the sun. Don't always try to be in the limelight. Instead, choose to be in the background whenever possible. Choose to be seated in the rear seats, not the front seats. Now, many of you have got that down here at the church. 
You may need to seek more front seats because the humble ones are in the front. Okay. That's all I have to say about it. That's all I have to say about that. Okay? You see, our desire should be as Christians to see who can serve the best. Who can serve the most? Who's the best server in the world? Because when you find out who the best server is at Lighthouse, you discover who the greatest person is at Lighthouse. And the greatest person is the one that you should emulate, follow. Because you want to become like them. Imitate their faith. So we seek the shadow of the sun. And Jesus said, take care. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired. Because then you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. And we learn from Jesus' statement, there's this intrinsic, and we're aware of it, an intrinsic worth to doing good deeds that gets lost if it's done for the praise of others. So oftentimes we do things, and we try to do it secretly, and we say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Because we realize there's something within us. If others know what we did, it somehow loses its worth in terms of changing our souls and transforming our inner being. That is true. That is correct. When you do things in secret and not in public, it says God will reward you. But when you do them in public so others will see it, then you've gained your reward in full. There's no more change for you. Nothing will be gained if you choose to do it publicly. So we learn to trust the Father for our development, our placement in life, and we don't seek to elevate ourself on a regular basis, whether it be in our jobs, or in our home, or in our relationships with others. Because Jesus says, if you do this, then when you are lifted up, it will be God who lifts you up, and it will be an appropriate place for you, wherever that is, and whatever that is, wherever and whatever. We learn that acts done to impress others actually take away from our soul development rather than increase that soul development. Oddly enough, they become like a giant wind fan in reverse. So you think of yourself going down to Palm Springs, you see those huge fans that are bringing about multitudes of energy. Well, some energy. But in your life, when you choose the praise of men, what happens is they go in reverse and the energy is drained out of you. Because you're just a big wind back. Okay? Ah! That's what happens. We find ourselves depleted rather than energized. And God desires to energize us. Instead of becoming better persons, we become bitter persons. Says, careful of that. Now, in the same manner, though, God says, who you are is what you are supposed to be. So, Paul refers to us in Romans, he says, Shall that which has been formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? God said, I made you like this because you are exactly what I need you to be. You are part of the mosaic of life that I need you to be. I don't need you to be anything more, and I don't need you to be anything less. I just want you to be you. 
And that's the cry of humility. That's the cry of humility. It's not so much that I think less of myself, but that I think less about myself. You know, the directive to be yourself is the call of God, who we are made to be. It's hard to love yourself if you're never yourself. It's hard to love yourself if you never are yourself. So, humility enables us to be with others without expecting things of them or things of ourselves. Not wondering how they're going to benefit us in part or because of our networking process. But we pursue humility in the background and in secret. And we minister not to be seen, but to be made able to see. A flashlight that God shines in our life, and we go, wow. Not only do I know who I am, but I actually I begin to like what God We choose to be the one who praises others and who encourages their endeavors. And we discover that interruptions are often the real ministry. And the stranger we cared for was in actuality an angel that God sent to minister to us. And we begin to take ourselves far less seriously and appreciate far more appropriately those that are around us. We accept that there is a God that we are not Him. But that as we trust Him, He will enable us to do what we need to do. We become more like the story, true one, of Muhammad Ali on the airplane. I don't know if you've heard that or not. He's on the airplane and the stewardess came to him and said, Sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She was a smart steward. She turned and she said, Superman don't need no plane. He buckled his seatbelt. And that's the picture. We begin to understand that God will enable us to fly, but it's usually in a plane. With reliance upon others and upon that which he has set up and established in life itself. So we learn to trust the architect and not the plan. God said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You can circle, I know under that. Trust the architect, not the plan. I know the plans. God has full knowledge of our plans. But we are giving awareness on a need-to-know basis. In secret, when it's appropriate, when it's necessary. God clarifies. He has plans that will give us hope and a future but now often seem to have little joy whatsoever in me. I'm not receiving great things, Lord. I'm not seeing my business grow incredibly well and seeing profit. I'm not watching my job change the way I want it to. I'm not getting what I want. And God's cry is, Son, you're called to humility, not to greatness. Accepting how you choose to serve others. And so we, with unveiled faces, 
all begin to reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His likeness as we continue to focus on Him and His will and His plan and His desires. And we choose humility and those characteristics. As we begin to reflect that life within, He moves us to be free to embrace humility and gain the power to serve with joy. One of my favorite shows is called Bruce Almighty. You can put your name in the blank. Lee Almighty. And this discovering process that he went through to finally recognize not only am I not God, I don't know me. Let's watch this clip. Who's seen this show know how it's going to happen now? <laughs> As he finally surrenders, that truck begins to implant itself upon his face. And Folks, I'm sorry to say this more often than not, when we get to that spot, that's exactly what happens as we move once again to that place of humility. And God calls us to be a servant of those places around us. See, it's time for change. Very good. So freedom's all about me. We learn to trust the Father, and He provides us with power for humility. We learn to seek the shadow, not the sun, and we trust the architect, not the plan. But freedom is for a purpose. And the purpose of that freedom is not to serve yourself, but it's to serve others. So freedom is all also about you. It's about those that God places in life around us. And we have to learn to trust the son who will give us the power to serve. So our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who though he was in nature God, took the nature of the servant. In fact, because he was in nature God, he took the nature of a servant. That's God's nature, to serve and to give and to love. So in the same way we have to choose to reject our selfish orientation and pursue opportunities to serve. And then we will experience the change that God wants us to have in our lives. We become the ones called to serve, not to be served. And as we do this, we're no longer the passive victims of other people's opinions. Oftentimes I hear, I don't care what they think. Well, in my case, I'm always in this thing of, it depends on what they're thinking. What are they thinking? What did I do? What's going on there? I care. And in the 20s, when we're in our 20s, we tend to think that everyone's looking at us. Okay? We get into our 30s, and we think everybody's expecting things of us. Then we get in our 40s, and we realize, no, everybody's thinking about themselves. They don't even notice me, unless I get in their way. God calls us to practice one another ministries, to practice one another ministries. So, for even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, you ought to give your life as a ransom for many. How do we practice these one another ministries? There are at least 40 different one another ministries mentioned in the New Testament. Over 40. And as we are involved in these directives, we find ourselves becoming more and more and more like Christ. Because we can identify, are we doing these things or not? And if we're not, then we need to start. So Ephesians 4.2 said we need to bear with one another. When was the last time you bared with someone? You say, what is bearing? That's another word for put up. Put up with. 
Instead of saying, get out of my face, we listen to them. Oh, God help me. Take me somewhere. You know, we listen to them when we respond back to them and we're involved in that process of bearing with them. When was the last time you submitted to one another? Ephesians 5.1 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When was the last time you submitted to somebody? You did what they wanted you to do without them having to ask. You did what they wanted you to do without them having to ask. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another. Build each other up. When was the last time you encouraged somebody? Okay, now I gave you three things. It said bearing, submitting, and encouragement. Look at the person sitting next to you. There's not somebody getting next to you. You can get next to somebody and share with them when you did one of those things. What did you do? You bear to somebody? Oh, I bear. You submitted to somebody. You encouraged somebody. Okay? Who'd you do it to when it happened? Do it now. She also says you need to spur one another on to good deeds. You see, and how do you spur somebody on to good deeds? You know how you do it? You tell them how you submitted to somebody, how you encouraged somebody, how you bore with somebody's burdens, and they begin to think, you know, if they can do it, I can do it, because they're not all that great themselves. That's what we really think. That's how we spur one another on to good deeds and love. We consider this how to do it. How to do it. How do we spur people on to love and good deeds? And then, Lastly, the only one I'm going to mention here, we need to offer hospitality to one another. And then he adds, without grumbling. Without grumbling. Having someone over, showing we care, being involved in supper for six. Choosing, you know, if you can't cook, order a pizza. Have them over to eat it. I guarantee if you come to my house, I'm not cooking. And you're happy about that. You're very happy. Ask my boys. You're very happy about that. I can put things on the grill. That's it. Outside of that, you're out of luck. Offer hospitality. See, and all these things are about others. About others. And we'll be called to be involved in that process. Freedom is about me. Trusting the Father. Providing power for humility. Seeking the shadow, not the sun. Trusting the architect, not our plan. But freedom's also all about you. Trusting the Son to provide with the power to serve you. Practicing one another's ministries, and then learning, quite simply, to trust the artist, not the painter. Trust the artist, not the painter. The Holy Spirit is the artist. You've been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. I guarantee you, when you begin to paint the picture that God has for you, and you become the brush of God, and the Holy Spirit works through you, you'll turn back and look at it and say, it just doesn't look that good. Because you're just one brush and one color. And God is busy putting together an amazing mosaic that's incredibly beautiful that you'll begin to see only at the time when the signs so loud to see. I love all these different pictures we see all the time of these artists. They begin to throw this on and throw that on, and it looks like nothing. You go, it's just a bunch of blotches. And then it starts to take shape. They throw on another. It takes better shape. They throw another. It takes better shape. Pretty soon you see this incredible picture. And I'm amazed by it because I cannot, I have no artistic. I'm going, how do they do that? 
5 says this, if we're living now by the Holy Spirit, then let's follow the Holy Spirit's leading. How He's showing us to brush in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited or irritated or be jealous of one another. So today's lesson on spiritual disciplines is simple. Seek humility and choose to serve. Seek humility and choose to serve. God wants to paint this incredible picture, and you will get to see the portrait when your life is done. But not before. And you'll see all the missing brush marks if you've not allowed Him to do what it is He wants to do through you. It's your call, it's your decision. But I encourage you to brush. Choose to serve, seek humility, and watch God begin to put something together through your life that you never, ever thought you have. Live motivated, animated by God's Spirit, and you will no longer feed the compulsions of your selfish nature and your sinful self. I put it this way it should be our bumper statement. Great servants do it in secret. Father, thank you so much for this chance today to remind ourselves of who you are, the most incredible servant of all life. That you chose to give all that you had your entire life, every day, every moment, and then finally dying on the cross for me so that I only had to admit my need for you and you would remove from me all of my sins. That you would become Savior and Lord of my life if I would allow it. And all I had to do was choose. Lord Jesus, I choose today. Cleanse me from sin. Remove me from that barrier between self and the Father. And provide me with the ability, Lord God, the ability to love you to love others. Grant me the power to be humble and the ability to serve those around me. Change me, Lord, and be like you. Jesus name.